It's great that you bring that up, actually, because one of our developer relations engineers, Isaac, on the Alchemy team, wrote this article called Hunting the Hunters, How to Find Airdrop Hunters. And he wrote this article based on his experience doing exactly what you said with the Hop Protocol. Hello, and welcome to Dev3, the podcast where I interview developers and builders. Today, I had the luxury of speaking with Albert from the Alchemy platform. Albert is that guy in tech on Twitter. I've seen him a million times at all the different crypto conferences I go to. I was really excited to finally connect and ask him all about what he's working on and thinking about these days. Something that Albert does really well, which I respect, is his ability to balance both technical understanding and content creation. I think it's really hard to make time for both without falling behind. And Albert is someone who has really balanced that such that he can both take in what these new announcements are, learn about, and even write code relating to a lot of the new projects that are coming out. He and I talked in this episode about hackathons. We talked about what Alchemy is building, what he just built at ETH Bogota over in Bogota, Colombia, kind of what we saw within the space and trends with anti-civil mechanisms, Web3 identity, Web3 social, and all of this packed into just 30 minutes. So please stick around till the end when we got really warmed up and we had some hot takes around Web3 identity and about anti-civil mechanisms, weeding out the bots, peel chains, and just other really cool hacker stuff about how to block hackers and stop them from exploiting your airdrops or other marketing techniques. I hope you enjoyed the episode. How are you today, Albert? I'm great. Thanks, Dawson. Thanks for having me on here. I know we chatted a couple months ago, but a lot you know, happens very quickly in the crypto space. So super excited to catch up. Yeah, a ton happens quickly in crypto and a ton happens in your life and your publicity lately with Alchemy. I know Alchemy has been making splashes and I think we walked past each other even at DevConnect just now at DevCon. And yeah, it was nice bumping to each other. Oh um, yeah, shelling point. I mean, the that- crypto space is just growing really quickly. So I think like DevCons, for example, are just getting bigger and bigger. So even though there are a lot of friends there, it's like you don't have time to catch up with everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, especially when you have a lot of different interests that put you in contact with a lot of people. Yeah. I know you're one of those, and I'm, I'm excited to get to some of that. But I wanted to ask you, so you came across my radar first with some of the DevRel and content you're creating, some of your YouTube videos. And actually, one of the first things I saw was this weird cape thing at ETH Denver last year. <laughs> you and a bunch of people look like princes and magicians or something. Is there a story there? Yeah, that was like the first big in-person conference coming out of the pandemic, it felt like. And so I feel like a lot of the people in the industry were very excited for that, still bull market vibes. And so as a company, Alchemy had been planning this, like the strategy of how are we going to show up to this conference and what are we going to do? What workshops are we going to teach? What meetings are we going to have? You know, make the most out of it. And then one day our CEO, Nikhil, walks into the room and he's just like, I don't care what you guys do, what workshops you teach. I just want you to be remembered and talked about on Twitter after the conference. And we were like, but we're working so hard, like actually doing real work. <laughs> he's like, I don't care. Just like get some costumes or something. And then we're like, okay, fine. Derek on our team, he's like our fashionista guy. He's got great taste. He found these track suits on Amazon. They're like blue and gold tiger track suits. And we were like, wow, this actually looks like something we could wear. Like normally <laughs> it is extravagant but it's like fun and so we got that and we we're like how do we make this even more memorable and we got capes gold matching capes with the tracksuits 
we wore that to the conference and it definitely worked. Hats off to, to Nikhil's ingenious marketing skills. But it was just really fun. At the conference, people would stop me on the side of the street and be like, didn't I just see you somewhere else? And I was like, yeah, there's a lot of people dressed like this <laughs> at this conference. So it definitely worked. It was a great time. I love the backstory on it because I actually spent almost the last year since DevCon now, or since ETH Bogota, since ETH Denver. Yeah, a lot like of conferences. I've, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we just came <laughs> off one like a few days ago. Uh, but yeah, I, I spent right. all the time since ETH Denver feeling like I missed out on some event where like everyone got these cool capes. <laughs> well, it's we'll bring it back for next uh, February. Yeah, like I, I love the culture. Like it sounds like Alchemy has a really good culture. And with that culture, I want to understand from you, how do you balance some of the time you spend with creating content with Alchemy, but also on the side, like as an individual, you've got to spend some time keeping up to date in the world of being an engineer. Yeah. Like a lot of people love this idea of uninterrupted deep focus. How do you balance all that? Yeah, it's been a fascinating ride for me. I just crossed a year at Alchemy working with the developer relations team and function at the company. But I mean, prior to this, uh, just for some context, I had about six or seven years of full stack product engineering experience at various companies in Silicon Valley, most recently at a company called Samsara, which does like enterprise SaaS for truckers, which is a very niche and very enterprise sassy <laughs> use case. So a lot of the workflow there was just like you described. You know, we have tickets, we have architecture meetings, we have to like scale our systems and it's a lot of deep work. And if I get interrupted with one meeting in the day, it's like, oh man, this, I was just like debugging some recursion issue and like, I don't know where I am anymore. And going from that, right after Samsara, I had actually not gone directly to Alchemy. I quit my job at Samsara to start a YouTube channel and try and go full time with that. I'd always had this like creator interest in me, really just love exploring things and then explaining it to people in a way that I think is more digestible and, and useful to them. So I started making crypto content. I'd been wanting to do crypto for a while. So that's kind of how I got into Alchemy and working at Alchemy now doing developer relations. A lot of it, what I've realized it breaks down into is kind of like five categories. And the way I think about these five categories helps me prioritize my time and do what you're talking about with balancing the actual exploration and keeping up to date, but also the production side of like building tools and content. And I would say those five things are evangelism, which is more of the marketing side of things. I would say that's more of the content production, you know, writing tweets, shit posts, yeah. but also like more seriously, you know, going to events, things like that, but like educating people about Alchemy and our company services. Then number two would be advocacy. And I think I see that as more outside in, and that's kind of where a little bit more of the deep work exploration time comes in, where it's like, I got to be social at hackathons and conferences, but also just like deep in terms of explorations of different libraries and protocols and APIs so that I can then bring that feedback back to the company and be like, I'm advocating for these developers, this community, they're all in need of the service, we should build that. So that's where the advocacy comes in. And then number three, I would say is like documentation, super critical. That requires a different type of deep work that I didn't do like a ton of <laughs> in previous jobs like we definitely document but creating documentation as a product and making sure it's like world-class is a huge undertaking and super impactful to the company but it allows developers outside of your company to self-serve your apis so that's super key too and then i would say guides and content is number four that's like these interviews live streams but also everything you need to know about getting started in solana type of thing it's like a higher level abstraction on top of just straight up api docs and then the fifth one, I think, is kind of ambiguous, but it's probably the most fun once you get it right, which is community. 
And there are a lot of folks in the crypto space who do this really well. But I think community at its heart is about connecting people to each other, bridging value from a company or an organization or one group to another group or another set of individuals. And over time, I've realized like I kind of have been doing a little bit of each thing. And depending on where we're at in terms of what the company's business needs are and what the pulse of the market and the community are, I might focus on one thing or another. But to go back to your original question about the balance, it is very, very hard, especially with diverse set of work. It's kind of like also up to you and what you want to specialize in, what you enjoy doing. And for me, I had been wanting to hack for so long all year, but didn't have a chance because I was kind of doing more of the evangelism and and business development and things like that all year. But last week or two weeks ago at ETH Bogota, I took some time off to actually like work with the Mint Kudos team and hack. And it was super fun. Happy to talk about that hack later, but it was just like really nice to kind of get back into it, push some commits, see something working, get it in front of judges and stuff like that. So it was great. Yeah, I think we should go straight into that. I've heard yeah. from on Mint Kudos. I love their UI. I love that they're maybe we can give a quick pitch. My understanding is that they give out yeah. NFTs based upon trying to say thanks to someone who's contributed or yeah. someone who's done something. It's like a kudos, right? Uh, what was exactly. it like working with exactly. the team? And yeah, what's your relationship with them now? Yeah, the Minkudos team, I've been working with them since pretty much the beginning when they started. Catherine is uh, one of their co-founders, but Catherine and Kay, they're like pretty awesome team. They've built this Soulbound token platform. So, you know, giving thanks and kudos is one of the use cases, but something that Alchemy has started using them for since very early on is kind of like certifications. We call them proof of knowledge tokens. And the great thing about these tokens and their platform is that number one, they're not transferable. So there's no like financial speculation on top of it. We really wanted to avoid that when it comes to building a developer education and system yeah, and community. But, you know, we had created this program, Road to Web3. It's like a 10-week self-paced course that's very project-based. So you, you learn how to build an NFT. You learn how to create a marketplace. You learn how to do a token swap application, et cetera. And every time you complete one of these tutorials, there is a step-by-step -step guide portion, but then there's also a challenge portion where we have an open-ended, like, can you modify this project oh. to do X, Y, or Z? And we don't give you the answer to those, but we'll check people's work. And if they complete that, we mint them one of these really beautiful proof of knowledge tokens. And people love that. And we've just seen some amazing innovation and creativity off of the challenges. And people have really risen up as leaders too. There are people who are spending hours each day like helping other people in the community to debug and find resources and even like talk about job hunts and things like that. So I was really surprised at what had come out of that community. But I would say like having this kind of infrastructure from the Mint Kudos team that allows us to easily you know, provide these really Web3 native ways to acknowledge people has been crucial to the growth of the program. And it's nice because we don't have to kind of spin up our own engineering resources within the company to build something like this and maintain something like this. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it seems like a, a money Lego. I mean, it's not money, but it's like a Web3 Lego that you can plug into, right? You can build with it. Totally. I see like us going through still this period of building Web3 infrastructure and like connective tissue almost. Like we need to go through this enterprise SaaS phase of <laughs> Web3 technology. And I kind of see like the stuff that Mint Kudos is building as one of these Legos for sure. So I think uh, we'll be able to see much more innovative use cases and projects and communities be built on top of this in the upcoming years. So really excited for that. Yeah, well, I want to give a quick shout out to a similar protocol that I think is really executing well during this bear market too, which is the GitPop team. And it's like a yeah. similar experience where you get rewarded. It's like a community-based thing. 
but that's right for, for a contributing to open source code yeah 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 exactly i still don't have a git pop yet though even though i contribute Me either <laughs> I, you don't either we got we should have another session where we like pair program and get somewhere something like that yeah that would be really cool to do i'm actually working with them to get essential eth my package on there uh oh, and, nice. and also transaction xyz my hack from eth bogota that was so, a great hack i appreciate yeah. it yeah colfax is super yeah if y'all haven't seen it you look it up on youtube twitter it's it's amazing it's such a ingenious and like modular library for people to do some really cool stuff okay i appreciate the shout out there but yeah, so we've been doing a ton of conferences and hackathons lately. But aside from all of that, like, it seems like you are still able to keep up to date, like keep up to beat on what's been happening in Web3 from identity solutions to different social stuff. I know Lens has just been super loud in a good way at all the conferences lately. You know, yeah, we had Rave, yeah. like Ave is also still killing it, like always. Do you want to introduce like, what do you think about Web3 social? What are you involved in? And like, what are you bullish on? Let me put it this way. I'll walk you through the experience that I had when I was first experiencing Lens because, you know, I started seeing Lens Protocol pop up on Twitter. There are other ones like Farcaster. I think there's a third one that I saw recently, but I'm blanking on the name. Maybe it'll come back to me later. But I think what's interesting about this experience is you go to Lenster, for example, and you claim your handle. So it's kind of like on Twitter, at that guy in tech. You claim your handle, and then you can go on to this page that's feed that's very similar to Twitter in terms of user experience, but you can like, submit posts and you can like other people's posts and you can mirror them or retweet them, things like that. But all this data is stored as NFTs on the Polygon blockchain. So the gas fees are pretty cheap and like Lens team covers all of it right now. And the reason why that's important is that it allows you to kind of bring your data with you wherever because it's just kind of like out there. And so I experienced the magic of this when I went from the Lenster page that had like the Twitter like feed over to a mobile app that I tried recently called Orb. And I think it's like probably one of the best Web3 mobile apps right now, just in terms of how smooth it is and the great experience. But I logged into Orb and I had all my posts right there already, even though the Orb team is completely separate from the Lens Protocol team. And you can't really have that today where like you have the Twitter web application or mobile application that's built by Twitter, the company, and you might have another developer trying to create a Twitter client, but like there's only so much information that the Twitter API exposes. The new Twitter client is going to be horrible. But with this new paradigm, as a user, I log into everything and each, everything as in like each new uh, social media client and every team that is building their unique social media client is able to optimize for a different experience or a different type of network or something like that. So they could be like, I can make a client, a Lens Protocol client that's only for Alchemy University students to network with each other. And so you have to have one of the Alchemy University early passes, for example, to get into this network and we'll only show posts from those people and we'll highlight their course accomplishments and challenges or something like that. So I think that's just been really magical. And it's only the early days. There's this word that has been thrown around a lot on crypto Twitter, which is skeuomorphic, which really just means it's like very similar to existing experiences and technologies. But I think with this new paradigm, I'm really excited to explore the new ways people interact and be social with each other on the internet that we just haven't experienced before. So yeah, that's why I'm really excited. <laughs> Yeah, on like Lenster or Orb specifically, I'm really curious if you have a hot take on this idea. So I've heard this idea that pretty soon developers yeah. like you and I are going to be able to build our own filtering and sorting algorithms that you can plug in or choose. So as a consumer, we have this like publicly open source database now. Uh, like you were saying, right. like we don't have to wait for Twitter to expose certain API endpoints. Instead, yep. you just have access. But now that puts the onus on 
both like the Lenster devs or the Orb devs, and if they create kind of like a system, will we be able to choose different algorithms for how we want our stuff sorted? If we want things censored at all, if we want things filtered at all by recency versus star count, do you think that's the future? Or do you think we're all going to go towards skeuomorphic, like something that's like Twitter already? I definitely think it's the former where we're going to be able to, to choose our user experiences much more freely than we currently are able to. Like right now, we're at the mercy of the Twitter company, the Twitter team to push an update to their timeline algorithm so that we can see more engaging tweets first or whatever it is. But I think in the future, we're going to have 100 apps, 1,000 apps to choose from for various different use cases. You know, that sounds like a lot of apps, but it's just like, it's less about how many there are, but and it's more about the power that you have to do what you want to do. So if I'm going into a university, I might want to see those tweets or those uh, casts from Farcaster or Lens Protocol posts first and or only. And if I'm going to apply for a job, maybe I can talk to people within my network and only see my coworkers' posts or something like that. That way, I don't have to recreate my profile every time. Like right now, I have to create a Twitter account. I have to create a Facebook account. I have to create a TikTok account. I have to reclaim my handle every time. It's like a whole rush every time there's a new social media. You got to claim your handle. And then you have to rebuild all your data and all this stuff, your reputation, your followers. So I think it'd be really cool to have that go with you, no matter what the client experience is on the front end, whether it's on your phone or on your website, your desktop browser. And then on top of that, I think once we have that as a standard, then we can see what are the new experiences that we can build on top of that. It's not just going to be posts or posts or uh, photos that you like or things like that. I think there'll be new types of relationships and activities. Yeah, do you see the power you just described of how interesting this could get if we do decide to all build upon the same core, the same core being maybe Lens? But I did want to ask real quick, a technical clarification. Is Farcaster and Lens separate data sets? My understanding is that Farcaster is a competitor. Yeah, is that true? that's a great point. Yes, they're different data sets. So I've also thought about this a little bit. I also see a potential world where just like today, we have a lot of different blockchains. <laughs> like everyone talks about how, oh, on blockchain, it's a public database. But then if you have a thousand different public databases, it's like, okay, well, now we have to <laughs> go from database to database. And then you run into all the bridging issues and stuff like that. But I feel like it's possible that we go down that path in the short term with these different competitive solutions. I think it's good. It's good to have the competition because what I see Lens as doing, you know, for people who don't know, it's built by the Aave team. Aave is a decentralized exchange and lending and borrowing protocol. And so they've built a product that works really well already. It has a lot of a big user base and community. And then they've kind of like also bootstrapped this decentralized social media protocol. And they're going very protocol first where they're kind of like, here are the standards. Here's how we're going to store the data. Here's the schemas, things like that. And then developers, please go and build your best clients and let's see what happens and we'll promote everybody. Whereas Farcaster is taking the opposite approach where they're like, we're going to build as a team, we're going to build the best client experience. And there's going to be a protocol underneath it that, that powers it and will be public and decentralized. But we want to show you what is possible in terms of like the best quality experience to inspire people to then build on this protocol. So I appreciate both approaches, but I think you touch on a great point about there are multiple protocols and the data is siloed again, then what will happen? I've thought about how I think there needs to be, not needs to be, but there could be some kind of a bridging mechanism for social media data if these chains persist. You can mirror things uh, potentially. Can, exactly, yeah. So I think that would be an interesting idea. That way I can still kind of bring my identity across whatever protocol there is. 
but we'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah, for folks who are interested in getting started on the mirroring, go claim your lens handle first off, because that's what I'm most bullish on out of what we've described. But then there's also yeah. a mirroring tool for posting to lens and Twitter both at the same time. Oh, yeah, I got to get that set up. I'm, I'm behind the game on that. Yeah, well, I think it's there's still some catches. We're still very early. My experience with that yep. tool was yep. that I posted a tweet with a couple images directly to Leinster. Yeah. And it's supposed to mirror directly to Twitter. It posted to Twitter without the images. Uh, which, oh, okay. You know, if you're like picky about content, that's a pretty big issue. Yeah, yeah. But you know, let's it, get that tool on Gitpo op and then contribute to it. And then we'll get our yes. Gitpo ops. <laughs> we'll find a way to self-servingly give back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, similar to Lens, actually, I want to move to a separate topic, though, that, that is happening a lot right now, which is around identity. And we've got, oh, yeah. you know, in the world of Web3, we've got a lot of use cases for identity, why we might want it, why we might want to identify someone. This would be like anti-civil mechanisms. It could be governance and voting. Yeah. What are your thoughts in this whole ecosystem right now? And who's kind of taking charge, you think? Yeah, that's a great topic. I've actually felt the pain recently because as one of the administrators and shepherds of the Alchemy developer community with the Road to Web3 program and now Alchemy University coming out, you know, we have a lot of ideas we want to implement around incentives and being able to earn credentials and then us being able to, like, we want a student to be able to go through the course material and say, yes, I've learned cryptography. I've learned how wallets work. I've learned about how to write Solidity. I've learned about how to write Rust for, uh, for Solana. And we want to be able to give them a recognition, a symbol that, hey, you've done it, you know, good job. You should be able to be proud of this symbol and show this off on your resume or to employers or whatever it is. But recently with the Road to Web3 experiment in the early days, we saw essentially airdrop farmers kind of swarm our submission forms because we didn't have very much checking or identity verification outside of this like form that you fill out to say, here's my wallet address where I want to receive my credential. Here's my project, my GitHub link where I, it shows that I, I submitted my code. And it works when there's like 10 submissions a week and we can check everything. But if there's like a thousand a day, which is what was happening for a little bit, we're like, we can't check all the code by hand. And then it becomes this whole thing of like, okay, can we like automate the checking? And like, can we verify that the wallet address is like, a certain age or whatever it is, then you start building these kind of mechanisms yourself. And that's where this identity application or like question comes into play for us. And I, I feel like for a lot of people in this space, you know, it'd be great to have tools that have already been servicing like Gitcoin Passport, I think is really interesting. You connect your social accounts to Gitcoin Passport and then Gitcoin Passport spits out basically this like score that of uh, how likely do we think this person is a real unique human being. And it, it could sound a little bit black mirror-y, but think it's it's like a necessary exploration uh, because then if we had something like that we can say only people with a certain level a certain score can finish out, uh, submitting this form that way we don't have like one person you know out there hacking the forms and like submitting a thousand submissions and we're like struggling to catch up but yeah i think although it makes a good plot for black mirror it <laughs> shouldn't be avoided for that same reason so i very much agree with you that yeah it's a fundamental mechanism we'll need in some instances and for folks interested, especially in what you were saying, Albert, about the uh, submission form that you had, kind of that spam on there, yeah. people can yeah. find a lot of interesting research that was done really recently with Hop Protocol and Optimism Protocol. They both did an airdrop this summer. I oh, believe. I remember that. I think it was June. It was called the Hop Drop. And for the Hop Drop, they did drop. a really impressive data science study of their users, mm. of the folks who had used the protocol. And we did out known bot networks. This was folks 
fudging their traffic such that they could qualify with many addresses. And to go even deeper on this, uh, back in Bitcoin days, one of the only ways you could mix things was with a mixer. And one of the primary tools that a mixer uses is called a peel chain. A peel chain is when you send from one address to the next. And when you're sending to that next, you might split off, you might peel off a portion of those funds. And maybe you'll peel chain even sending to a valid wallet, you know, sending to a good wallet, like Mm. send it to like someone famous on the way. Like obviously that famous person is not the criminal, but now you've included them in this kind of messy history. Right. And they have found through the hop drop studies and through visual studies of what these patterns were, there's whole new patterns people are using of like, there's like this snake one where like, it's just like one address to the next for like 300 address transfers and all of them qualified for the drop. And then because of the anti-civil program that they actually launched, the way it worked is the initial pool of hop tokens stayed the same. But if you were to report and find a valid botnet, like a group of people botting, then yeah. you get their tokens and they lose their tokens entirely. It's like so cool how the penalty mechanism worked. Folks should definitely consider reading some of those articles. It's great that you bring that up, actually, because one of our developer relations engineers, Isaac, on the Alchemy team, wrote this article called Hunting the Hunters, How to Find Airdrop Hunters. And he wrote this article based on his experience doing exactly what you said with the hop protocol. He wrote this script that would like trace through all these transactions that first search with a certain number of transactions deep, because otherwise it would just become too much computation after a while. But he found a, a good number of these addresses that were like essentially sending tokens back to their own address or something like that. And he ended up getting paid for it. So yeah, we're going to see this kind of innovation <laughs> continue, I think. Yeah. And I think something awesome that example. I haven't seen happen that could be kind of as we wrap up this topic is like, there could also be a blacklist of like, oh, these addresses yeah. were known to have done this in the past. Right. Like I considered helping build an open source. I already have this package on GitHub called EVM list, which is a list of EVM addresses for various subjects. So like on it, you can go see mm. what are all the centralized exchange addresses. So like if you uh, receive address on your application and you want to block centralized exchanges, for example, on Earnify, like when you're searching for an airdrop, yeah. you have to have a self-custody wallet. Right. But like someone new to the system may not understand that. They might paste in their Coinbase mm. address. Yeah. And so yeah, we see that a lot too. There you go. Exactly. Like a lot of projects actually could probably benefit from using this filtered list, which it's already yeah. on GitHub already on mine, but I was considering making like the hop drop blacklist basically. And then just yeah. like very quickly on ethics, I was like, I don't think that's really worth doing. It's not worth my time. Cause like, mm. how might that list be abused in the future? And although those people like gain the system and got punished for hop, should they be punished for everything? I don't know. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, the other side of this is that basically, effectively infinite addresses. So people can also spin up new addresses whenever. And I feel like that's like a pretty new part of the identity equation and problem. Whereas like in today's existing identity institutions, whether it's getting a driver's license or a passport or a credential from a university or whatever it is, it's like much more it's not self-serve <laughs> the way that crypto wallet addresses are. So of course, you don't want to get all your wallet addresses blacklisted, especially if you have a lot of history and trades and all this stuff. But at the same time, we have to also fight against this ability for people to just like spin up new identities, quote unquote, to attach themselves to. Yeah, I have a quick question on for you. If Are you aware of the zero knowledge attestations of NFT ownership on an external wallet? A lot of words uh... are there. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've heard of ideas like this, but I don't think I've looked into any particular 
Yeah, so this may be like example. a hackathon stage thing at the moment, but the goal of this, which is definitely possible, zero knowledge technology is to mm-hmm. attest or even vote on governance with the tokens of an external wallet. So I own DOS.eth, but right. for instance, my CryptoPunk is not in DOS.eth. It's for mm-hmm. security purposes. I have it elsewhere, but like yeah. I need to attest that I own that somehow. And what if maybe there was right. like a governance vote that involved something like that? Or if you're like a massive yeah. LP, you're not going to put those LP tokens in your hot wallet. You're going to put it in cold storage. Right, right. So there's like a way to attest that you own this other wallet. Anyway, mm. I think the ZK stuff is huge. That is huge. Yeah, that's very important. I think like almost everyone in the space who has valuable stuff, like you're saying, needs this. So that that's really cool. Who's working on that? I wish I knew. <laughs> but if anyone's uh, yeah. listening we'll and knows the people, this. let's get connected with them for yeah. sure. Because I think both of us Albert, you and I are both interested in this. And it actually seems like there's, there's been a ton of ZK talk. Like that was kind of the vibe for me at DevCon this year. What were the trends yeah, that you saw? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I like ZK cryptography. It, it was cool for me to learn because I'd been hearing about it floating around and all this stuff, but I didn't know how orthogonal it could be to blockchain. Like you can use it outside of actual blockchain infrastructure and you can apply it to a lot of different use cases like like government or or schools or whatever it is, I feel like there's like exponential power when you apply it to the blockchain, like this particular use case you're talking about. But that was definitely a huge theme. People were talking about, my, my favorite talk was by Gub Sheep, who I think is one of the founders of Zero X Park. He was talking about a year of reflections of building Dark Forest, which is this, for people who don't know, it's this on-chain game that uses zero knowledge uh, technology. And it allows you to play this game where you don't know what other people are doing or where they are in this kind of like visual universe space universe thing and your whole objective is to expand your empire and attack neighboring planets and collect resources and all this stuff and you can't normally do that on a blockchain where all the data is public but with zero knowledge like cryptography and proofs and all this stuff they're able to kind of hide certain elements and make it very very fun and competitive so he was talking about that and i thought it was so interesting the innovations that could come out of just building a game too and how it might be applied to real business use cases so that was definitely a huge theme. Identity was also a huge theme. I know Steph from Polygon, developer advocate at Polygon, she introduced Polygon ID at a number of different workshops throughout the week. Oceans um, 404 you know, is her on Twitter. Oceans 404, yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so there's a lot of identity discussions. I feel like there's a lot of like, I saw this at ETH Bogota especially, you know, a lot of different sponsors who are onboarding more users via like auth solutions or wallets. So Web3 auth, Wallet Connect, these types of projects. So, you know, getting more people to be able to manage their, oh, multi-party computation kind of falls under the same umbrella to me. Just getting people to be able to manage their wallets and not have to remember this cumbersome seed phrase that's easy to forget and very scary if you lose. So things like that, I would say, are what I paid attention to the most. Yeah, I feel like we should do a round two talking about gaming, a round two where both of us learn more about ZK first. Um, Yeah. But, you know, with the last few minutes here, I was really curious from you if we could do it like, a rapid fire on a couple quick questions. So upcoming conferences. Yeah. Are you taking off until ETH Denver like most folks? Or are you still hitting a lot these next few months? So I know there's ETH SF, another ETH Global Hackathon coming up. So quick plug to ETH Global. They're like the best hackathon organizers in the space. If you don't go to any other hackathons, definitely go to every ETH Global Hackathon. And ETH SF is the one coming up in early November. There are some people on the Alchemy team going to Lisbon for Solana Breakpoint. I think that that'll be pretty interesting. We are trying to uh, expand more into Solana and be able to help out developers and the developer ecosystem there. So excited to see what comes out of that. 
And then I think I'm chilling. Oh, in December, I'm going to Taipei in Taiwan for Taipei Blockchain Week. Might do a little workshop there and just vacation too. It's kind of nice. The, the food there is good. <laughs> is it? Have you been um, to Taipei? Yeah, I've been one time. It's very affordable. The transportation is easy. There's a good nightlife, things like that. So that'll be good. And then, yeah, I would love to see you at ETH Denver again too if you're going to that next year. I'll definitely be at ETH Denver. Send me the dates for Taipei too. I'll consider it. Yeah, yeah, especially since you mentioned you're nomading recently, right? Absolutely, so. yeah. I'm down in Rio right now, so I just kept the South America thing going. Yeah, okay, awesome. We'll send that to you. I think Taipei Blockchain Week will be early December, like December 7th or 12th or something like that. Excellent, yeah. Keep it in mind. Um, so closing real quick, do you have any plugs? Anything you're working on, anything folks should check out, whether that's education, whether that's Web3, blockchain, alchemy, any of that? Yeah, totally. I think the biggest initiative that I've been working with uh, an amazing team uh, is Alchemy University. Love the name because the abbreviations are AU and it's like gold and it's all about how alchemy can help you turn like code into gold and all this stuff. It's very meme worthy. But, you know, outside of the memes, it's it's a good quality education. We acquired the Chainshot team recently and we've been partnering with them to offer their $3,000 bootcamp. Super high quality stuff uh, for free to everybody. So if you go to university.alchemy.com, you can kind of sign up for early access there if you're watching this very recently. But we are opening up public access in 2023. Uh, Right now, we're trying to get the highest intent, most dedicated developers to try it out first so that we can really build this early community and identify some leaders in the space and and boost them for jobs and whatnot. So yeah, really excited to be pumping out more educational content, get people to learn how to build in the space. So yeah, check that out. That's perfect. I love the education focus you have. And I just realized... I accidentally turned this podcast between last episode and this episode into like the DevRel, the educator podcast. I just had Patrick on. He'll be going. Oh, really? Yeah, That's I just funny. recorded with him yesterday and it's like back to back now. It's just, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to Oceans 404. Hopefully she can make the time and just, it's like yeah. just getting a chance to talk to all the homies, I feel. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And thank you so much for making this podcast. It's really fun to to catch up and be able to talk about these things. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great working with you and the rest of the Alchemy team. So with that, I think we'll wrap up. Thank you for the time today. Awesome. Thank you. And what is your Twitter? Go ahead and drop that too. Oh, yeah. At that guy in tech. Yeah, it's spelled how it sounds. I'm that on all socials. So if you look me up on whatever it is, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. Actually, I don't know about LinkedIn. I think it's LinkedIn too. GitHub. It's all the same handle. So yeah, catch me on the internet. Excellent. We'll have that in the show notes for everyone. Thanks for the time again. Awesome. Thank you.